Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and, and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you want to find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey, and you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because, hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. Casey Stanton, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Eric. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm fired up to learn from you. I, uh, you know, I was telling you pre-recording, which is always some of the best conversations, right? I wish I always hit record earlier. Um, I have a decent understanding of marketing, but I hate doing it. And I love learning from marketers because I think uh, you could be, have the best product, the best service, whatever. You can be really good at what you do, but if your marketing sucks, you're not going to grow and marketing is such a, a huge necessity. So um, yeah, man, welcome to the show. Casey, if you don't mind, uh, give our audience a little bit of your story and your background. I know it's a really good one. You, you went nomad for a while. You focus on your unique ability, all that stuff. It's really interesting to me. So give us your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, great. So um, uh, I live in Philadelphia and um, I graduated from Michigan State University in 2008. And why I bring that up is I had a, I have a bachelor's of science in environmental policy. And I didn't, I didn't really know what I was going to do in college. Um, uh, and in graduating, I thought, okay, I'm going to get a job and I'll make 40 grand a year and I'll get a new car and I'll figure it out from there. Right. Just like move out of the campus. And ultimately the one job I interviewed for, I didn't get. So I ended up moving back with my parents uh, and got hit with that 2008 housing crisis and the economy just tanking and realizing that everything I was told and everything that I was sold in college was really based on this um, kind of like in a, in, in a best case scenario, right? And this was not a best case scenario. We were living in a worst case scenario. So what could I do? So I hopped on the back of a lawnmower and worked for a guy making 15 bucks an hour mowing lawns. And I would spend all day in Northern Michigan, uh, just mowing lawns. If anyone knows Traverse City, Michigan, beautiful area. So I was up there in, in Northport spending most of my days mowing lawns. And I was, uh, you know, obviously a little bored of just mowing straight lines. So I uh, grabbed some Tony Robbins tapes and kind of got nice. my head on straight. And I think that that's such an important piece of my journey because I said, I'm going to be a student of myself on the back of that lawnmower. And I would crush like Tony Robbins um, seminars. Uh, I would go to the library and get them. I'd go online and grab them. I'd buy stuff. Uh, I'd rent stuff. I'd borrow stuff from friends. You know, I'd torrent stuff. Like whatever I could do just to like figure this thing out because I'm staring down a lifetime that I have no uh, strategy for. Right? Like no one really told me what to do. I'm mean, environmental policy. Am I really going to go work at the Senate? I certainly wasn't the smartest person in school. You know, I, I was lucky to graduate with like a 2.5 GPA. So I was really kind of in like this unique position of the world that I was sold was not true. And if I'm going to make anything happen, truly it's because I make it happen. 
it's not like anything was going to be given to me. So one day I was mowing lawns and um, I was at this guy's house and I can still remember the house. I know right where it is. And beautiful house on the lake. Just like one of those houses that's like, wow. You know, like, like just, you just kind of like look at it in awe. And um, he was outside one day and I just asked him like really kind of directly, hey man, like how'd you do it? How'd you, how did, how did you build a life that could afford you this house? And he said that he invented a product and uh, had a distribution channel of people selling it. I was like, can I sell it? And he's like, uh, sure. And I was like, okay, cool. Can you front me some? Cause I'm a little <laughs> short on cash. And he said, no, I can't front you anything. You gotta, you gotta like save up cash and, and buy a bunch of units. So I waited a couple of weeks, saved up some cash, bought a few units, put them in the back of my old Jeep and then drove door to door and sold them and sold more, made more money in one afternoon that I'd made in the week prior. And I knew I was onto something. Right? That was like my ability to create leverage. And that leverage is what I was like really interested in. So I said, okay, small town, not a lot of doors. They're pretty far apart. Gas money's expensive. What can I do? Oh, I can just go online and try to sell this thing. Casey, so I what took, was the product? Sorry to interrupt you, but what was the product yeah. that you were selling from this guy? So it's like, a, it was a fuel conditioner. It wasn't necessarily a great hmm. product. I didn't know any better. It was a series of magnets that you strap to a fuel line before it goes into your, um, like your furnace. And the claim was that it increased fuel efficiency. And, you know, I think that after doing uh, more research, uh, I think it was, a, it was a bogus offer, but it got me online. And I realized like, if I'm going to sell online, I have to be able to tell a story, the same story I would sell door to door. So I started writing those things out and writing sales letters and studying Dan Kennedy and, and kind of like the, kind of the classic marketers there. And I just got really interested in that world. And then that progressed, um, ultimately moved down to Ann Arbor, Michigan after doing, uh, I did a four month bicycle trip through Europe. So I started working with a guy online, helping him with his ads and ended up traveling around Europe for four months on my bicycle with my girlfriend. And um, that was like my first time kind of getting that leverage with like complete freedom and flexibility. And that just changed my, my brain moved back to Michigan, started working with other local clients, helping them online sell their stuff. And um, then moved down to New Orleans and uh, fell in love with the city. Um, lived there for five years and became a professor of marketing at Tulane University. And then after a couple years of teaching there, three years, um, my wife and I decided that we were going to sell everything and hit the road full time. So we sold everything. We grabbed our dog and we got a Durango and we drove around the country for about a year and um, tried to find like a new place to live and realized like just how frustrating it was to keep losing our underwear. So we bought an RV and then for two years we had an RV and we drove around the country all under the, like the direction of like, we want to find the perfect city for us. Like New Orleans has so much right with it. We love that city. And there's some reasons that it's not the best city for us. So what is the best city for us? And we created uh, like criteria and we would go date cities. So we pulled into Austin, Texas and stayed at Pecan Grove RV Park um, at, at uh, what is it, Lamar, just like outside of uh, downtown, maybe like a 10 minute walk to city center. We lived there for a couple months and tested that city. We were as far Northeast as um, uh, Portland, Maine. Uh, we went to Orlando and then Austin uh, and Chicago. So kind of like that region is what we tested. And we would stay in these cities for a few months at a time. We stayed in Nashville an awful long time. We all ultimately got married there. And then after our wedding, uh, our honeymoon was Savannah, Charleston, uh, Richmond, Raleigh, 
and then all the way up to Philly. And when we got to Philly, it was just startling how great of a city it was for us. The people, the culture, the food, um, how small of a city it is for being such a big city. Um, and there's small things like um, you can park in some areas near downtown for free all day and walk in. And that was like a small thing that I identified as like, I want that because I'll go downtown then. If you go to Nashville, it's, you're hard pressed to find a place to park for less than 30 bucks. And as a result, it doesn't matter how close you live to downtown, you just don't go. So we found Philly, fell in love, and then ultimately found a place and, and moved um, about a year and a half ago. And now we live here and I brought the business here and uh, it's been a pretty exciting route. That's, uh, that's an awesome story, man. And it's so close to my heart. You know, when I sold uh, my businesses in, in California in 2017, we took a good, you know, really ongoing until the last few weeks when we finally bought a, a little uh, lot of land here in Montana. We, we dated a bunch of, uh, we weren't looking for cities, we were looking for ski towns, you know, little mountain yeah. towns. And we had specific criteria. So we went all around, man, from, um, you know, Tahoe to Bend to um, British Columbia to Montana to Utah to all these areas and, and we landed here. I, I, I very much admire what you did and you know it's, uh, it's creating a life by design and probably a little bit of Tony Robbins inspired as well, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I, yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, definitely like all praise be to Tony uh, for that. <laughs> but th- there's like this term of uh, life authorship which I think is really important. And like, how do you author your life and how do you author your relationships and the people that you're with? And um, I think that that is, it's a, it's a critical component of personal development. It's something that my wife and I believe very intently on, you know, just invite the people in your life that you want, you know, build the life that you want because uh, you know, we moved out of, I'm from Northern Michigan. She's from Alabama. We moved from two different types of families uh, and we're creating our own thing without the um, like inherited behaviors of family, right? It's like, what do yeah. we do for Thanksgiving? Well, we got to figure it out if we want to do anything. You know, everything is new and different. We don't have a ritual for anything in our life that we haven't created ourselves. So that comes with a lot of responsibility and like effort. It's really difficult to create all of those things without having like this incumbent lifestyle. But then the flip side is that we're able to create things that are meaningful to us and, you know, things that we want to do that we want to show up for that we want to, that we want in our life. And, uh, I think it's, it's created, um, us as like a really strong team dynamic. We work really well together and we just don't have like the time vampires in our life, Mm. you know, like these things that you kind of have to do because you've always done them or your family's always done them. And it's just, it's just really nice not to have to deal with that friction. Yeah. 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 You know, it's interesting is when we, uh, when we adopted a more nomadic lifestyle, which is, you know, uh, we're, we're still going to keep the core of it. Like, yeah, we're getting some land. We're going to build a house here, but we're also going to continue keeping travel and new experiences as the most valuable thing we, we do together. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I did notice when I um, left in, and I had a great community in Santa Barbara, California, you know, knew lots of people in that town, but uh, I was doing things because not because I want to do them. I was doing because there was social pressure to do it. You know, someone's birthday is so-and-so this or so-and-so that, and there was all these events. And next thing you know, I'm like, what are we actually doing for ourselves? And, 
it's easy to fall into those routines and those, those time traps. And, you know, on one side, yeah, Erica, you should be thankful that and grateful that you had all these amazing, you still have all these amazing friendships, but you also have to be true to yourself and realize that like, Hey, if you're not getting a fulfillment out of it, then why are you doing it? Because it's your time and you only get to do it. You only get this thing called life once. Right. And you might die tomorrow. Like, Quite yes. literally, right? Yeah. Like we can't just like hold off until this future someday when we have everything to really enjoy it. If we don't enjoy it now, we'll probably die before that time ever comes. Because like Dan Sullivan says, we're in the gap. It's that area between where we are and where we want to be instead of seeing how far we've come. Like instead yeah. of celebrating how far we've come, we just keep measuring ourselves to this infinite horizon that no matter how close you get to the horizon, it's still as far away as it's ever been. Yeah. Yeah, man. Beautifully said. So let's, let's get, uh, let's get some attention on Casey. What, what is it that you do now, man? And, um, I'm, I'm excited because I've seen your name come about in the 10 X community. I've seen this term fractional CMO, but I really don't know exactly what that means. So enlighten me, man. Tell me about your business, what you do, who you work with, give us all the goods. Yeah. Uh, so I think as a marketer, right, I kind of grew up in this world of being a marketer. We think of the roles of being like a marketer, you know, just like a, just like a, like a grunt worker, right? Just a marketer, whatever that is, whatever that title is. And then you can kind of move up. So you go from marketer to maybe marketing manager to maybe marketing coordinator, marketing director, right? SVP marketing, CMO. These are all titles for marketing. And there's really not like a clear um, structure for like what a company does. A company might just have a marketer or they might have a CMO and that CMO might not do like strategic high level stuff. So these labels are often um, like misguided. And I think when we think of marketers, there's marketers who are tacticians and there's marketers who solve then small problems and and big problems. That's like how we can look at it, right? And then there's like strategic marketing. So a tactician is someone who is like particularly good or experienced at a thing. And I love tacticians. So a good tactician is um, someone like a conversion rate optimization expert Hmm. or a Facebook ad expert or someone who has spent millions of dollars on the YouTube network and they know what YouTube ads work and how to place them successfully. Those are tacticians. And then there's kind of the, the marketer, like this person who's like, maybe writing emails and maybe they're loading emails, maybe they're sending emails, maybe they're writing newsletters, maybe they're updating the website, maybe they're checking analytics. Like there's no real major core kind of discipline that they follow. They just kind of are the grunt. They're the kind of the everything person. And there's this more strategic person who says, okay, here's what we're doing and why. And then they may also do that work. And when we think of these different roles, it comes down to solving big problems versus small problems. And marketers typically want to solve big problems, right? Like that's what we're excited about. So to solve a big problem, a big problem is like, what do we do with our marketing budget this year? Or, hey, we've got this idea. Is it innovative? And should we test it in the market? And if we do, what does a successful test look like? And can we scale it? It's like, it's like this big kind of brain thing where you really got to think. It's very different than, hey, go send this email for me. So marketers, as they want to solve bigger problems, they have the opportunity to grow from marketer to CMO. But on average, Eric, it takes 17 years for a marketer to become CMO. It's a long time. Yeah. I've been in marketing 
you know, I feel like my whole life and it's really only been 12 years. So I'm not even qualified to be a CMO for the typical time it takes to become one, regardless of my experience. So then what does a marketer do if they want to solve big problems and not wait that line to become a CMO? Well, they become a marketing consultant and a consultant's fine. Uh, I was a consultant for years, but I'll tell you that marketing consulting is a little exhausting. Yes, your hourly rate is high, but your contracts are short-lived. No one wants a marketing consultant because it's pejorative. A consultant is a four-letter word. You know, you don't want to spend money on a consultant because consulting by definition isn't, isn't anything actually completed, right? It's someone who just says like, yeah, do this thing. And they provide a strategic plan that you put on some shelf somewhere. Yeah. So, so marketing consultant is the other route a marketer can take to become successful. And these are typically the two routes, CMO or marketing consultant. That's how you solve big problems and get big paydays. You know, that CMO takes a long time, but the pay's good. The marketing consultant, the pay's good, but you always got to be prospecting and selling and servicing. And it's just like this rat race because people don't have long-term consultants. Really, it's kind of a short-term gig. So now there's room for this third kind of budding new um, position, which is the fractional chief marketing officer. And when you think of a business that's doing a million dollars online in e-commerce or 3 million or 5 million or 10 million, that company might only have an 18% profit margin. And a million dollar a year company with an 18% profit margin, that's $180,000. And the average CMO, their salary is 174,000. So if you have a full-time CMO in a million dollar a year business, you got about six grand to pay yourself. The rest is going to the CMO. Obviously, that makes no sense. No one's, no one's taking that bet. Yeah. But those businesses still need a chief marketing officer. They still need someone to lead the company. They just don't need them full time. So we've seen this happen in other arenas like um, outside general counsel. You know, when I have a contract to review, I reach out to my lawyer. I don't have a lawyer on staff full time. I have an, a lawyer that I have a contract with and they're fractional for me. I've got a fractional CFO right? Chief financial officer. Those are the two industries that really kind of led the way. This third one is this fractional chief marketing officer, which is a CMO who works maybe 10 hours a week for a company and is able to provide them the insight that they need, but not take so much of the budget that limits the company's ability to actually get the work done. Because a good CMO is not a great YouTube ad person and copywriter and conversion rate optimizer and, you know, website builder and every other tactic that's required. They're not. Like you can't be a jack of all trades or a Jill of all trades. So if you want to support companies and solve big problems, you can become a fractional CMO. You work less hours for that company than a full-time CMO, but you kind of get in a higher leverage paycheck as a result. And that contract lasts for a long time because that company needs your support long-term instead of the short-term of a marketing consultant. So that's what a fractional CMO is. And my company we teach people how to become fractional CMOs. We teach them what it takes to be a CMO that's effective, that's strategic, and that can solve complex problems and knows how to find the right problem to solve, which is such an art in business. When we can swing any hammer in marketing, which hammer do you swing? The CMO has to know the right thing to do and they have to have a pragmatic process to follow. So we've got this functional marketing framework that our fractional CMOs learn and then they go out and they get business on their own and they go and support companies. 
And as a result, they're able to have that same freedom and flexibility I had traveling the country, doing whatever they want, working for however many clients they want at a high rate, at a high dollar per hour rate, but being incredibly effective. This isn't about like hoodwinking or, or, or like tricking a company into paying a high rate for you. It's solving a very difficult series of problems and being compensated for that, but just that. And not all the other stuff that you don't want to do, like writing and sending emails. You know, I haven't sent an email uh, for a client in a long time because we bring in the experts to, to do that. And even if that expert is a, you know, entry-level marketer, we bring that person in, we train them, and, and they're able to, to, to execute those components in the business. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. And it reminds me, it, it keeps, it, it seems aligned with a concept that was brought to my attention like just a few years ago. Um, and I think it's also uh, coincides with the millennials increasing in size in the workforce and now getting to a point where they're looking to, you know, take the next step in their life, which traditionally has been like home ownership or things like that. But the younger generation seem to be more interested into access versus ownership. Like totally. You don't need to access, own, right? Yeah. yeah. You don't need to own a car. You don't need to own a house. You just need access to those things. And the uh, value, people are valuing freedom so much more. And, and in this world that we live in now, in this, God, today's record, I, here's the funny thing, side note, is I haven't had to state the actual date of recording in my podcast as much as I do right now. Like today's June 11th, 2020, because 24 hours from now, the news cycle completely have changed. Totally. Different. So it's, it's, it's really important, you know, so right now we're seeing, you know, as remote working is like, Hey, we can actually do this. Hey, this is actually financially viable for a company. Like there's all these things that are changing the landscape very quickly. Um, places like where I live now are suddenly becoming, you know, people want from Seattle want to go live, you know, the next six months in Montana or Idaho or wherever. So it's, it's really interesting time. And that, that value on freedom and flexibility and, um, all of that is, is all it's, it's shifting quickly. And I think it's cool, man. I think it's really cool. So I, I really dig what you're doing. And I think having, you know, people who go in and not necessarily because they're going there to get a title CMO, but they're going there to solve a problem and help people and do it in a way that doesn't, you know, sink a company, right. That isn't just right. this weight. So I, I think it's great, man. Can you give me examples of like maybe anecdotally of, of, cause I know you primarily work within the fitness, health and wellness space, right? Or are you branching out or what, what are the industries that you tend to serve the most? Yeah. So it, it's a good question. Um, and I'll just say that uh, as a fractional CMO, what I found to be really fun and exciting is the different, right? Sure. There's some simplicity in doing similar stuff, uh, similar clients, and I'm kind of in for, for the fun and the difficult. So what we tend to do is we sell to people, the companies that we work with. So that's B2B or B2C because at the end of the day, people are people and that's who you're selling to. And I find it really fun to take something that is kind of a, a known winner in one market, let's say LinkedIn outbound in B2B and apply that in a B2C space. You know, those things are really fun. So yes, predominantly the experience has been in... Um, one to $50 million a year companies uh, in the health and fitness niche. But I really do like kind of branching out. Health and fitness, uh, one of our clients in the past was um, non-carrier embedded telemedicine. So that means that your um, benefit contract in the States uh, for your health benefits includes some telemedicine, but it's garbage or it doesn't include telemedicine. And this is a company that provides telemedicine. So that still fits in the health and wellness space 
but it's on the B to B to B to C side, right? Because you sell, salespeople sell to brokers and brokers sell to companies and companies provide the services to their employees. So like, that's a very interesting route, but it still is kind of in the same vein. Um, areas that I don't like to go into are areas that require uh, a lot of legal understanding. So law is one, um, you know, getting too far into medical, uh, getting into claims, things like that, like medical claims, like this can fix, you know, this can treat cancer or whatever. Those are things that we don't really dabble in. But personal development is one of those limitless markets and so is health and fitness. There will always be people who want to change their health. There will always be people who want to improve their fitness. And there's always people who want to improve themselves through personal development. There's flash in the pan stuff that's short term, which is sexy, uh, which is like, hey, let's sell this one thing right now. You know, like um, all the emergency preppers when Obama was president, those people selling emergency preparedness stuff did very well. Uh, but then when Trump became president, those businesses tanked. I mean, th- there's a natural cycle to that. But if you want an evergreen business, you can find health, wellness, personal development will always have um, really hungry customers who have serious pain that want that pain resolved. Yeah, 100%, man. And so give me an example. Give me an example of, of uh, a success story you've seen as a fractional CMO, just because I, I tend to see things as stories and I need to be... Uh kind of walk through how does this how does this whole process work sure so um we worked with a company uh that's in the kind of relationship education space and they've got this really incredible course on how to um kind of get to the core of why you're not showing up kind of as you want to kind of naked in your relationship and it's a it's a really beautiful course and i went through it nine months long my wife and i did it and it was phenomenal and the conversion rate of getting people into it wasn't as high as it needed to be for the quality of the content. The content is second to none. Uh, the instructor is second to none. I mean, it kind of the guy's going to be huge, I think, as a result. He's just very effective. But sales were, were low. We were able to uh, over more than quadruple the total number of enrollees in a, um, call it a, a, a four, you know, a four-figure personal development course that's nine months long with like weekly meetings. And I mean, it was very, uh, sounds intense, man. It's super intense, right? <laughs> yeah. And like, you kind of have to be a warrior to like show up and like go through the content. It's a very interesting person that, that goes through it. We were able to increase by over four X the number of people and create systems in place and then offload those systems to a project manager who was paid much less. And that project manager can run that moving forward. It's like, systems are what a good CMO creates. So they identify the problem, they identify what they believe to be the solution or a hypothesis of how to solve the problem. A marketing campaign gets created and maybe that CMO does some work actually kind of swinging a hammer to build that initial campaign, at least building out the strategy for the assets. And then the team develops the assets. So, okay, guys, we need these emails to be written and this is the approximate timing for them. We need these kinds of ads. These are the due dates for everything. Like super high level pass it on to a project manager. The project manager supports in the deployment of that. Once that all happens, the CMO is reviewing the, the, the numbers. What's the conversion rate? What's the click-through rate? Like, where are we stuck? What point of this process needs to be you know, greased a bit to, to increase the throughput? And that CMO understands that. They're pushing the team to make those things happen. They're really leading. They're the leader in the business. And all along the way, they're supporting the creation of SOPs or processes 
so that the problem doesn't have to be solved creatively again. It can just be executed. Creativity is an expensive energy. And what we want is we want people who do tasks. So for instance, uh, in that business, um, twice a year, there's kind of a launch for that program. The project manager knows how long before carts close or you know all the money comes in, does that campaign need to start? So how many days before? So she knows that it's a 65-day campaign, let's say. Hmm. So she has that all planned out and she knows all of the assets and everything we've run before and what the conversion rates were for everything before. She doesn't have to understand marketing. She simply has to follow the tasks that are laid out. And then she gets the tacticians to come in and do the thing. Hey, here's the old ads we did. Here's the link to them. Here's all the learnings that we had previously from that last campaign that we did a postmortem on afterwards. And we said, if we were going to do this next time, here's what I'd change. Okay, review that. Next week, I want to see new ads built so that we can get them approved and get ready to launch them in a week from that. And it's like that whole process, just to reduce the pressure on the last minute, the CMO's job is to identify how to solve the problem, create the processes, and get the team aligned to execute on them and then be able, like ultimately be accountable to the results on it. And if a campaign is a failure, it's because the CMO missed something. Nice. If the campaign's a success, it's because the team did a great job executing. Right? And uh, how does a fractional CMO get compensated? Is it like a consulting fee? Is it an equity or a revenue share? Like, how do you do? Is it vary depending on client? How do you, yeah. how do you formulate that relationship? It's a, it's a great question. And um, you can do whatever you want. Uh, and I'll just tell you what I've found to work really well, which is full price upfront, always to start. Because that shows that the business that wants your help is willing to pay you and also willing to value your time at the level that you value your time. And if after a few months of working at your full rate, you decide to drop your rate and buy into the company and have some kind of equity multiple, if you do a higher than a standard return on ad spend, then that's totally cool. And, and we've done that. And uh, as a result, I'm a partner um, in a business and it's great. Like we're all aligned, but we're aligned um, kind of, initially on the most important thing, which is that there's a problem to solve, that I'm the right person to solve it, and that my time is worth X. If I choose to discount that time later in order to earn into the business, buy equity, whatever, then you know that's kind of my, my opportunity or my right. But it isn't that I'm devaluing my time. Yeah, I like that, man. I like it a lot. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, my good friend and colleague, Doug Holt. Um, I don't know if you've ever connected with him through the 10X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, agree. I know he's done some very similar things. He's um, had a baby too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Doug and I are good for, we were uh, uh, business partners for a while. Um, oh, cool. Doug and I, yeah, we both uh, own gyms in Santa Barbara, California. So shout out to Doug Holt, branded innovation. So Casey, I, I'm curious as you, as you look at your entrepreneurial journey, man, what, what's been one of the biggest personal struggles that you've had? You know, one of those, every entrepreneur has like that big struggle or that rock bottom moment or that, you know, something like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, right? Um, give, <laughs> give us an example of, of maybe something so that people can, uh, can relate to you. Oh, I've got plenty. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I mean, I first want to say that um, I'm really lucky. I, I won that uterus lotto. You know, I like was born into a good family. Um, you know, I'm like a white dude in America. I've kind of gotten every opportunity provided to me as a result of that. So I see that. And yeah, I've worked hard, but you know, I also started on third base. So hitting a home run is a whole lot easier for me. 
Um, so that said, I've also struggled and my struggles have been, you know, to me painful um, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I've always been safe. Everything's always been okay. You know, if I ever needed to like move back into my parents or my in-laws, like I totally could have. Uh, at, at one point, you know, in our travel, uh, we ran out of cash. And so we hold up at our in-laws for like, I don't know, two months just to kind of catch up on things. Um, you know, like those things had to happen. So, um, but like what really got me, <laughs> what like I didn't expect. Hmm. So first I'm in this belief that I, I've, been, I've been working in my career to create as much runway as I can. And that's like risk runway, which means I can screw up a whole bunch because I know that I got to fail my way to success. It's like, I can't just like um, think through every potential outcome and then make the one perfect business decision. Instead, like, I know I got to take some risks here and there. And yeah, they're calculated and I really think through them. And I think things like Farnham Street and the mental model approach is, is, is key for solving or, or making good decisions. And I, I knew that what I needed to do in my life was like reduce the total number of dependencies in my life to create the most risk runway. And as a result, you know, I didn't get married until my mid thirties. Um, we've got a kid coming. Uh, so I'm 34, uh, and I'll have my first kid, you know, I've, and I've got friends who had kids in their twenties. And the difference is, is that I was living, um, being risky and they were living, having a kid and, you know, at some level, like, man, it would be really nice to have like an eight year old right now right? Instead of like having a newborn, but like on the flip side, I've been able to go further in the business. So I took, made a decision to have more risk runway in my life and kind of push off some more of these decisions, like getting married and, and having kids and everything. Uh, I'll tell you last year, a little close to home, this was back in um, February, right? When we moved to Philadelphia, <laughs> we were booked out for the full year with committed clients like committed, like we had a good, better, best income level, like a uh, monthly kind of income. And we were at that uh, in between the good and the better committed, like no marketing needed. It was February. We were like locked in for the year. I had like solid commitments from people. We had contracts out the whole shebang. So everything was great. Like I was like, Hey, we did it. You know, we set this up, like things are feeling good. We could kind of relax. Not 30 days later, literally on my birthday, did I get a note that one of the contracts wasn't going to renew. And I was like, how can you do that? You committed to it. It's signed on the contract. It's because the CEO got fired by the board. Mm. Didn't even, I didn't even consider that that could happen. So I lost that. And that kind of precipitated some other losses. And we went from having a solid month to a terrible quarter. And I think for everyone, COVID was really tough. And for us, COVID was something we had seen the exact year before. So, you know, as far as like business tanking and like having to figure it out. And it was awful. Uh, it was hard. You know, I worked long hours trying to figure it out. And um, I'll tell you that the secret when business goes to shit is to make more offers. That's how you get out of that hole. You got that hole by thinking but also by doing and acting. And the best way you can act is you can make offers. You can go and try to sell and keep striking out until you hit it. Because I would have 10 sales calls and they wouldn't go anywhere because I was being, you know, a little too forward on them maybe. Um, but those sales came back around. Uh, I remember going and driving to see a guy and uh, 
you know, it was, we didn't have a car when we moved to the city, we sold our car and, um, I had to go rent a car and, you know, it's kind of like an expensive day to go out on the sales call. It wasn't just like a zoom call and it didn't turn into a, to a sale. And I was super bummed. I'll tell you like eight months later, it turned into a sale. So, right. It's, a, it's about making those offers and trying and the effort. Um, and then also just like having a partner that you can lean into and like be honest with and share this difficulty and frustration. My wife and I are in this business together. You know, we've got a small team of four of us and, you know, we treat our employees well. We, you know, we pay them well and we've got good um, insurance for everybody. Like we're really trying to take care of everyone and keep this business afloat in like a really wild economy. Uh, so a lot of stress there, but also does anything taste as sweet as the success that you create yourself? You know, like that's what gets me out of bed every day is just like this opportunity to not be limited and hearing friends who are limited on their paychecks. Like they can never make more than maybe 10 grand more than they're making a year right now. And I'm one phone call away from doubling their income kind of thing. You know, like all it takes is one more offer or opportunity or being more creative about how we solve problems for our clients. That puts us in our own driver's seat of our own destiny. And it's like, you can't, I mean, you can, but like I, I can't have a life of my dreams without being in complete control over my life. And that really includes how I show up to work, the people I work with, the work that we do, the results that we make and the income that we make. Yeah. I love it, man. Great messaging. And Casey, uh, as we kind of start to wind in, I'm, I'm always curious to ask this question because it um, generally turns out as something really good, but what is, what is the biggest need slash challenge that you have in your business right now? Oh, that's interesting. Huh? So one thing that, uh, hmm, there's a couple things. Uh, so doing a better job just for me personally at um, delegating is something that I'm always working on. I, I never feel like I'm a great delegator. And I know that that is the lever by which I can get more done with less of my time. So working on delegation and just having better rules and systems around that. Um, another one is like keeping abreast with what's winning right now. And that's why I started my own podcast called Your Perfect Marketing Strategy. And I interview people who are doing the winning marketing tactic. And it's been really helpful to see, because I know, I feel like I know 80% of what's working, but what's that 20% right now that's timely? And I don't want to be caught up in the business of fast to change stuff but I want to know it enough to be able to, to make a good decision. So this is a distinction I got from Farnham Street. If the listeners here don't know, fs.blog. It's a killer website about mental models and kind of how to solve problems through a, how to make better decisions by taking a problem through like a lattice work of mental models, like Hanlon's razor and, and, and things like that. Um, and I just find, I, uh, I, I find that I want to focus long-term on slow to change things. And if you're building a business and you don't want to be the person who's like rapidly reading every single news article about your industry every single day to stay on the cutting edge, don't build a business on fast to change, build a business on slow to change principles, foundations, things that are never going to change. That's why being a fractional CMO is great because it doesn't require you to be the cutting edge expert on Google ads today. It requires you to understand how to use Google ads and who to hire who's that cutting edge expert, but you don't have to be that person on top of it. So I kind of fight with that. We've built this business on the slow to change principle, but I want to know enough fast to change to be smart. Like Google Discover, like what's this new ad platform? How does it work? 
how can you advertise to folks using maids, um, mobile app IDs? It's like those, those components that are rapidly changing, um, staying abreast of that is, is a place that, um, like I'm, I'm focused on learning because I, I feel like there's a gap for me. And I honestly believe like that gap will always exist because I'll never be the best at it. And, and I'm kind of resigned to that fact. Um, and then lastly, just like really good, competent um, tacticians. You know, we want them for the companies that we work with. Got a website and the website is uh, slow loading, right? It takes 11 seconds to paint the first uh, page. And that's terrible. And Google's going to change everything in 2021 about being so focused on mobile optimization. So we need these kind of people in our lives. I don't know who's there. You know, we've got one company, they do a great job, but like, what are the other companies out there that exist that are strong in all of the tactics, everything from um, media buying to SEO and SEO, like specifically backlink building, you know, those types of people are the people I want to attract in my life that I definitely feel uh, I don't have enough of. Yeah, those people are gold, man. Especially for people who are visionary like yourselves, right? Find those people who can implement well. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great, beautiful thing. So Casey, give us some insights. So you got your podcast, uh, your perfect marketing strategy. Um, congratulations on launching that. I'm really excited to subscribe and listen to it. Uh, where else can people find you, what you put out there, more about your services, how to work with you, how to be a fractional CMO? Give us the goods, man. Cool. Thank you for asking. So if you're a marketer with at least three years of experience and you're considering becoming a fractional CMO, if what I said was interesting to you, then I've got a presentation. It's a 20 minute video. You'll know it as a VSL, but it's an offer for us just to have a conversation. Uh, and that is at cmox.co slash invitation, cmox.co slash invitation. And I'm inviting you to watch that if you'd like to 20 minute presentation about what we're looking for. And right now we're looking for three marketers that we can train to be winning successful niche dominating fractional CMOs. So if that's interesting and you want a process that you can, uh, take to these companies that's slow to change that will give you confidence long-term. So every time you talk to your clients, you know exactly what to do because you have a process to follow and you want help finding those clients and kind of creating a brand for yourself and, and, and niching down. Uh, maybe leaving an agency where you're solving big problems right now, but making small paydays or maybe you're a marketer uh, on your own and you typically solve small problems. And as a result, you make small paydays and you want to ascend to this more senior role, but you don't want to wait 17 years or you don't want the kind of, pain in the ass frustration of always selling new clients as a marketing consultant and go to cmox.co slash invitation. Everyone else, check us out on Your Perfect Marketing Strategy. And um, you can follow me on Facebook, uh, which is my name, Casey Slaughter Stanton. Awesome, man. Casey, thank you so much for all this knowledge, man. I learned a lot. And uh, you know, one of the reasons I love podcasting is that I get to learn, I get to ask questions, I get to see what's working out there, what's not. And um, I have a feeling you're going to be uh, learning a lot through your show as well. So I'm excited to, to watch that journey, but yeah, man, I appreciate your time. I know you're busy and it was great having you on here and, uh, just keep up the great work. Hey, thanks Eric. I appreciate it. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Casey Stanton. Hey everybody. This is your host, Eric Malzone. Don't leave yet. I have a few more requests for you. So if you got value out of this podcast, I ask you to do a few things. Number one, go to wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to the show. Number two, while you're there, if you feel that we earned it, please leave us a nice review. Number three, share it. 
whether it be social media, email, texting, whatever it may be. I'm sure you know somebody who would get value out of this episode just like you did. So please go ahead and share it. And that's how we get the word out. So it's really valuable and super appreciative. It only takes a minute of your time. Next, if you know of somebody, including yourself, who would be a great guest for the show, please head on over to level5mentors.com, L-E-V-E-L, the number five, mentors.com. Get in touch with me. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, Make an introduction, whatever it may be. You can also get me directly in my email, which is eric, E-R-I-C, at level5mentors.com. Lastly, if you just want to chat, you want to find out more, if you want to expand on some ideas, I love hearing from the audience. So go ahead and hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You also have my email already. So I love to hear from you. I'm always looking for ways to improve the show and I'm always looking to have great conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black Diamond Podcast and you can expect a lot more from us.